Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. There are a lot of things that I want to share with you today. Um, even though th- this is a ta- challenging time uh, and, and it's difficult at times to face this, uh, we need to remember that God is at work. And as Jesus taught us, He's at work all around us all the time. And I, I want to share, starting out this morning, some of the ways that uh, Jesus is at work around us, God is at work around us. And so I, I share it so that you can join uh, him in possibly in what this is doing. Now, in the entire month of April, we are going to continue to, to take up our special offering, receive our special offering. It's called the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. And what that offering does is it supports over 5,000 North American missionaries that our church helps support in other Southern Baptist churches. And I, I hope this past week you used the prayer guide uh, that we, we sent you and prayed for our missionaries. And I want to encourage you to just continue to do that. Uh, Dave sent us some online videos to help us in our prayer time. And uh, so I want to just encourage you to continue to pray for our missionaries and also to support them continuing financially, especially in this crisis time. We've also had a new ministry that's getting off the ground. Um, It's for those in our family who don't have uh, the capacity to live stream at home. And so what we're doing is we're putting together a team of people who have the technological savvy and the resource at home to burn DVDs. So if you are able to burn a DVD, if you have a computer at home and can download uh, this uh, live streaming telecast once it's posted, if you could burn it to a DVD and take it, some to maybe some of our shut-ins or those who don't have access to this, uh, we want to we keep them connected to what we're doing uh, as a church and let them stay connected to our services. So if you would be willing to do that, uh, I'm going to want you to get in touch with Dave Harden. His email address is going to uh, appear uh, on the screen here in just a second. And you can contact Dave at dharden at riverbluff.org, and he will match you up with someone who has this need if you have this skill set. And Dave will help you walk through what it would be like to actually participate uh, in that. There are folks who are... You know, feeling very isolated right now. Some who have been touched by sudden unemployment and other struggles. And, and so we want to help them. And uh, this is one of the ways we can do that. But there's another way that River Bluff is going to, uh, to help with that. I'm, I'm excited to announce something that the Lord has done. That, uh, and it's this. Uh, Dean Enfinger is going to be coming onto our staff as an unpaid staff member uh, to help with pastoral care uh, and... Uh, that, that has really, th- those needs have kind of grown all exponentially in this crisis. And though it may only be a short-term role uh, on our staff, uh, his official title is going to be Associate Pastor for Encouragement and Crisis Care. And I'm very, very grateful for this help. Many of you who are part of the River Bluff family know Dean and his wife Melanie. They have been a part of our family since about 2009. Uh, Dean currently uh, serves as a deacon in our church, a small group leader. He leads our drama ministry team as well. He's formerly served as one of our elders. Now, back in 2019, uh, Dean went back to school. He got his uh, degree, his master's degree from Liberty University in pastoral counseling. 
And then after completing that degree, he uh, went through his required internship at the Discipleship Counseling Center here, here at River Bluff Church and immediately joined uh, that staff, our staff of incredible counselors. Now, Dean loves to utilize the scriptures and biblical principles to help his clients experience the abundant life that, that can be found in Christ. And his heart is to bring compassion and understanding and, and counsel to, to hurting people. Now, Dean's going to be assisting me, the other elders, our deacons, and our other pastoral staff in meeting some of the unique care needs of our River family and our community during this crisis. So if you're feeling uh, a need to be prayed with, uh, or if you're particularly discouraged or overwhelmed by our current circumstances, or if you know somebody, uh, maybe a neighbor, who needs this kind of encouragement, uh, you can uh, call and make an appointment with Dean. You can schedule that appointment. You can also contact Dean uh, by his email at dnfinger at riverbluff.org. Now, Dean and Melanie are, are very dear to us, and we're so grateful for the sacrifice that they're making, this gift they're giving to River Bluff family and, and to our city. And uh, I'm just grateful for their generosity and sacrifice. And we're seeing, we're seeing so many others make, make great sacrifice during this time. One of the things that we are going to be doing uh, this year is we're going to also not only stream our resurrection celebration service next Sunday, but we'll be live streaming our Maundy Thursday service uh, that will be taking place this coming Thursday evening. Now, um, there, there are going to be some other special opportunities, hopefully on Easter. So if you stay tuned on our Facebook page and on Realm, we'll get you some more information about uh, those details. But if you're going to participate at home in our Monday Thursday service, there are some things you're going to need to do in advance that we normally do for you, some preparations you're going to make. Uh, one of those is we're going to take communion together. And you'll need to get those elements of the Lord's Supper. You'll need some, some bread. It could be white bread. It could be a roll. It could, it could be flat bread. Um, or uh, you could use, uh, you know, something like that. I, I don't think cinnamon rolls would work. Maybe some of, somebody would try that, but I don't know. Um, but you also want to get some grape juice or some other substitute for that. Uh, the other thing that you're going to want to do is you're going to want to build a cross for your family. You're going to want to construct a cross. Now, it can be as elaborate as you want it to be. Some, for some of you, it may be two sticks you go gather out in the yard and, and, and lash them together, and you may use, you know, sticky notes to, to, as your paper this year. Um, it could be popsicle sticks that you, you put together in the form of a cross. Some of you may have some, you know, scrap lumber laying around, some two-by-fours, and you want to build a cross for your family that you will actually be able to, to nail that piece of paper your sin onto, so you'll need a, a small piece of paper and what we will do we will conclude our Monday Thursday service like we do most years by walking you to the foot of the cross and encouraging you to nail your sin there as a way of declaring the truth that your salvation was found in that great victory that Jesus won on the cross when he paid the penalty for your sin and, and for my sin. So you'll, you'll need to have those things ready uh, this year and I, I want to encourage you to do something else. I want to encourage you to invite friends that you have, and they don't even have to live in our town anymore, to participate in our services. And so let me show you this through a video, something that may help you think about this. So if y'all would run that video.
<laughs> Honey, come on. Easter service is starting. Good morning, everyone. He's risen. What? I do hope you will join us and we'll invite others to join you on our YouTube channel. We're going to be sending out to, to most everybody that we have in our database, we're going to be sending out an electronic invitation that you can send to people. Uh, you could email it to them, you could text them, you could forward it on, on, on Facebook, but just an opportunity for you to send out and invite family and friends from, from all over the world, quite frankly, to participate uh, in, in both our Monday Thursday service and our resurrection celebration service next Sunday. There's really, in my life, never been a moment in time where I think there are people whose hearts are going to be primed and open to a need for God. And we have an opportunity like we've never had before to connect people to the love of God through Jesus Christ this, this Easter season like we've never had before. So let me, let me encourage you. Send those invitations out. Uh, invite folks to, uh, to join you as we, we gather to celebrate, remember what the Lord's sacrifice for us was on the cross, and uh, to, uh, to, to celebrate the, the power of the resurrection. And I would just also invite you to join me um, when I, I, I'm praying that God's Spirit would just be poured out um, in our city, uh, in our homes, in, in our nation, and around the world, that God's Spirit would be poured out, leading to a spiritual awakening. So I, I, I hope you will uh, just kind of take those steps, if you would. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your Bibles, and we're going to go back to where my wife, Kathy, uh, took us earlier. You know, she did some mighty fine reading there earlier, don't you think? Doesn't everybody think so? Um, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. So if you got your Bibles uh, you may want to turn there, flip there, whatever you need to do there. Uh, while you're finding uh, Mark's account of what we call Palm Sunday in Mark chapter 11, I want you to know that this is but one account. Uh, there are three other gospel writers, and all four, this is one of those events that all four record uh, an account of, of this event. Now, I don't know how many of you have gotten a little bit like Kathy and I did this Friday. We got a little stir-crazy, and so we just had to get out of the house. Now, we, we kept our social distance, but we did drive downtown, and we drove down to the Battery. We didn't get out of our car or anything like that. We, we drove down to the Battery, and we, we saw the beauty uh, downtown Charleston, and we drove past the, um, the, the fountain at the park that we couldn't get to. Uh, we we, we kind of drove around. The market was a ghost town. I mean, the city downtown Charleston was just, it was a ghost town. And we drove uh, over uh, that beautiful bridge over into Mount Pleasant. And while we were driving, we saw some people walking and running. And I, I thought about it later. This, this was the weekend for the Cooper River Bridge Run. This was one of those weekends in Charleston that would have been teeming with people. I've, I've been in, in the middle of that pack of 40,000 people, that parade of humanity going across that bridge. And that would have, been, that would have taken place yesterday in, 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 in our city. And it's a great celebration. You know, the, the, the size of Charleston and North Charleston feels like it doubles during, during that time. And some of you know this, that it takes multiple committees 
uh, it takes hundreds of volunteers. It takes an entire year to pull off that, that significant event. Now, here's what I want you to think about. The details of Palm Sunday that Mark and the other gospel writers uh, give us, there was, there was a great parade of humanity that day too. And instead of having a committee that went out for years to handle this, I believe that Jesus single-handedly orchestrated this incredible parade that we're going to look at uh, in Mark chapter 11. Now, the context, uh, like, like the bridge one would be the context for Charleston, Jerusalem would have been filled with people uh, for Passover. And historians debate the numbers. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian that lived about the same time as the gospel writers, tell us that Jerusalem would have swollen to as many as, as two million folks who were coming on, on a pilgrimage to the temple. And that basically quadruples the size of Jerusalem. And Jesus sets the stage. He, he rode into Jerusalem with crowds of people cheering and shouting and waving palm branches and, and laying their, their coats in the road. Uh, and all of this was kind of like the way they, they just rolled out the red carpet. Now, here's the thing uh, that I'm convinced. I'm convinced this parade was planned. Now, who planned it? I think Jesus planned it. Now, after literally years of avoiding publicity, I believe that Jesus staged this parade. Now, what was he, what was he up to? Well, let's see. Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem marks the start of what we as Christ followers called called Holy Week. It's recognized uh, around the world. And that week includes so much. It includes some incredible teaching uh, that Jesus does. It includes uh, the institution of, of, of communion, the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate uh, on Thursday night. It includes his suffering and prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It includes his, his illegal trials. It includes his, his, his just merciless beating and crucifixion. And finally, his death on Friday. But then Holy Week ends with his resurrection from the dead. And I, I pray that you're making plans to, to celebrate that resurrection next Sunday uh, with us and join us online. Because people need hope like they've never needed it before. Now, I've already said that I'm convinced that Jesus planned this parade. I believe he, he orchestrated it to make a point. And so pick up, if you would, in Mark's account in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Now, here's the first insight that I believe will lead us to see Jesus' main point of planning this parade, and it's this. Jesus has a plan as, and is in control. Jesus has a plan. He's working his plan. He's in control. Now, it's Passover time. 
millions had flocked to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Jesus and his disciples were among those pilgrims that, that are arriving uh, from the east via uh, Jericho. That's the, the route they chose. And this is where Jesus has just recently healed a, a man named Bartimaeus. Now, they were staying in Bethany, which is most likely they were staying with their friends, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had weeks before raised from the dead. And it's possible, just imagine it's possible, that Bartimaeus and Lazarus are with Jesus on the way into Jerusalem. Now, that would stir up quite a crowd. Now, as they approach Jerusalem, Jesus stops before he gets there, and he sends two disciples into another nearby village to, to bring a colt, a young donkey that no one had ever ridden on. And they were to bring it right to Jesus. And if anybody questioned them uh, about why they were doing this, they were just simply to say, I hope you remember this uh, from verse 3, Jesus said, tell them the Lord has need of it. And I want you to hang on to that thought for, for a little bit. Because while that was going on, Jesus and the others, they were waiting. They were waiting on these two disciples to come back with, with, with this donkey. And I, I got to thinking about, wonder what was going on in their head. I, I imagine that they maybe had a discussion. What's up with the donkey? You mean, we've, we've walked for three years everywhere we've ever gone. Why, why is Jesus wanting a donkey now? I mean, if I was a disciple, I'd be asking that question. Obviously, I think they realized Jesus was up to something. So the two disciples, they get to the village. They, they find a donkey, just like Jesus said. They start to untie it, and obviously it's the owners begin asking, you know, why, why are you doing this? And they gave the exact answer Jesus told them to give. The Lord has need of it. He'll return it soon. Now, this was either an example of divine foreknowledge on Jesus' part, or Jesus had a plan that he set in motion uh, in these moments. Now, I personally think the whole event was planned by Jesus in order to make a very clear statement. Everything about it, every detail was designed to announce that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the Savior King sent by God. Jesus was determined that we would know him as king. And then we're going to see in a moment, it was carefully orchestrated to show that he, he wasn't the king that they were expecting him to be. So as we walk through the story, I hope you see the details because they're filled with meaning. Now, we've already said the first one is that he told the disciples uh, to tell the donkey's owners, the Lord has need of it. And I imagine if, you know, two people showed up at your house and you had a donkey and tied to a door and somebody starts untying it, you, you do that too. You say, what's up, man? What, what, what are you doing? And when somebody said, the Lord has need of it, you would go, oh, yeah, oh, okay. The Lord has need of it. Now, in that phrase, the word Lord can be used of God, but it could also be used as a word of respect, kind of like a title, like, like, like sir. Now, here, Jesus uses it uh, of himself. And, and in the context, he seems to use it with uh, divine uh, authority. The Lord has need of it. He exercises divine authority to, to commandeer something that belongs to someone else. God, God needs this. He'll, he'll return it. Now, he could have said, Jesus needs it. He could have said, the rabbi needs it. But Jesus used a very specific phrase, the Lord needs it. 
And this is significant. See, the earliest and simplest confessions of the first Christians were this. Jesus is Lord. Those simple words acknowledge Jesus as deity, that Jesus is God and has authority over our lives, that Jesus is, is my Lord, that Jesus is my leader, that Jesus is, is my king. I not only worship him, I, I, I follow him, I, I serve him, and I do his will. If Jesus says the Lord needs that, I say, okay, certainly. See, to call him Lord means that we are ready to do what he says. Luke records in Luke 6.46 that Jesus once asked a group of those who were following him, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? If we're going to call him Lord, then we must be ready to do what he wants. And, and there's kind of a, a, an anything that he wants. The answer is, is yes, Lord, anything, anytime, anywhere. That's what it means to say Jesus is Lord. That's what it means, really, to be a Christian, a Christ follower. Yes, Lord, to anything, anytime, anywhere. And so Paul writes to Christians uh, that are gathered in Corinth one day, and he says this, No one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It is an act of the Spirit of God for someone to say, Jesus is Lord. And remember, what that means is, yes, Jesus, anything, anytime, anywhere. Now, I, I want to I illustrate that uh, by introducing to somebody. Billy, if you'd make your way up here. Billy Rogers is coming up. Many of you know Billy. He and Linda have been with us for years. Billy, I'm going to let you, I'm on a distance Social distance here, brother. You can take that stool right there. Billy uh, currently serves as a deacon in our church. He has led small groups and Sunday school classes and Bible studies. Billy was our worship leader uh, for, for years, years many years ago, but, but, but for years, and uh, has served as an elder. I mean, I, I can't think of many places that, that Billy hasn't, hasn't served. He's a great servant of the Lord. And so Billy, Billy called me a week and a half ago. About, that. about a week and a half ago, and um, said, Joe, the Lord's laid something on my heart. And when he started talking, the, the way that he kind of talked about it was kind of like, Joe, I think you ought to do something. <laughs> and um, Billy knows better than that, because Billy knows what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull him right in. And so I, I said, Billy, I, I hear your heart in this, and I believe this is of the Lord, but I want you to come and share what the Lord spoke to you. So, Billy, if you would just, if you would just take a moment and, and, and just tell, tell our folks, uh, your church family, what the Lord spoke into your heart uh, the other morning and, and you called me about. Okay. Well, when I first started hearing about the uh, stimulus package and uh, the details came out that the plan was to send everybody a, a check for $1,200, I, I said, well, that's, that's really good. I look forward to that. And it uh, sounded good to me. And... Later that day, uh, I just began thinking about all the people who had lost their jobs and uh, many really struggling. And uh, I began thinking about that money that was supposed to be coming. And I said, you know, I still have my, my check coming in and uh, I don't really need that money. Um, and it could probably be better used um, to help somebody that doesn't have a paycheck right now. And so I was trying to figure out uh, how, to, um, how to do that. And as I processed it, the Lord 
um, kind of sent me to the first church uh, in the book of Acts uh, where there was a, a need in the church and those who had extra brought the, the money to the apostles to meet the needs in the body. And I said, all right, Lord, <laughs> that, that sounds like a great plan. So uh, uh, the more I thought about it, I talked to Linda and we decided that um, whatever stimulus check we get, uh, we don't really need it, so we're going to give it to uh, the church and let the church meet the needs of the body. And so I called Joe and shared it with him, and uh, here we are. <laughs> well, and, and here we are, and, uh, and I'm grateful uh, for a couple of things. One, that you, you, you hear the Lord speak to mm -hmm. your heart, and, and you act on it. And that you involve your wife, Linda, uh, in, in, that, in that journey. And, uh, and I want to thank you for coming uh, and sharing with us, Billy, because now yeah. I want to take a couple minutes and just talk to our folks more about that, okay? Thank okay. you, brother. Right. Hi, high five. Yeah. <laughs> there are some things that I, I just want to speak into that. I, I, love, I love Billy's heart. And he heard, the, I think he heard this from the Lord. The Lord needs that. The Lord needs that. Now, that's not going to be said to everybody. The Lord's not going to say, say that to everybody. Some of you, what the Lord is going to say about your stimulus check is, take that and pay your rent. Take that and, and pay your utility bills because you're out of work. Take that and, and, and take care for, of your family. But for others of us, what the Lord may say is, the Lord needs that. The Lord needs that to do the work of caring for, for those uh, that are part of our River Bluff family, but even beyond that, to care for those in our community in this unique time of crisis. We're going to need to, to move more monies into things like Low Country Cares to help purchase more food, to, to, to feed more people during this trying time, to help with things like electric bills and, and, and rent payments and those kinds of things. See, this is what, this is what Christians do. They say yes to the Lord, anything, anytime, anywhere. Now, there's another clue uh, in, in Mark's account, and it's the, the donkey. There's, there's an importance to, to this donkey. And I just want to quickly give you three reasons why this, this is so important to understand this uh, uh, about the donkey. And the first is this. The donkey was unbroken. The Scripture tells us it was unbroken. In Mark chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus said, go to that village over there. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a, a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untied and bring it here. See, the donkey had never been ridden before. Now, in the Old Testament, when something was to be used for God's purposes, it was always to be something new. Something that had not already been used for ordinary purposes. And this is true of several places in the Old Testament uh, ab about animals. For, for an example, the ancient Israelites in the time of David, they, they used oxen to pull a cart that had never been used before to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And the oxen that were used had never pulled anything before. They started pulling this cart with the Ark of the Covenant on it. So by using this unbroken cult, what, uh, cult, what Jesus was, was doing was he was saying, this animal is for the sole purpose, sole purposes of God. It was sacred. It, it was set apart. Second and most important, Jesus uses the donkey, I think, to intentionally fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, said these words. He said, rejoice greatly because your king is coming to you. 
He's, he's righteous and he has salvation. He's humble and he's mounted on a donkey on a colt. This was a prophetic act. It was the, uh, in the great tradition of the prophets before him. Jesus is actually living out, acting out his meaning. Some of you may be familiar with the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 13, it records the Lord telling Jeremiah to take his belt, this wraparound sash, take it down to the Euphrates River and bury it in the mud and leave it there. And so Jeremiah does it. And then God comes to him later and says, go dig it back up. And so he goes and he digs this muddy, smelly, stinky, river-smelling belt back up. And God says, don't wash it. Put it around your waist. Walk through the town. Go to worship services with that thing on. As a demonstration that God who is holy and his people had become useless to him. They, 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 kind of like that belt was no longer really useful uh, for, for proper dress. In Isaiah chapter 20, God commanded a prophet, Isaiah, to walk around naked for three years to show the prophecy that the Egyptians and the Cushites would be one day taken naked into captivity. Now, don't get any ideas out there, okay? That, that, I, I can tell you that's not going to be a prophetic word you know, from the Lord today. See, here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was using this donkey to display a prophetic act. Jesus was very intentional of picking this animal to fulfill Zechariah's Old Testament prophecy. Now, while many Jews would understand this significance, many others would not, but many would get it. They would understand this is the prophecy about the king, the, the, the coming king, the Messiah. But notice what kind of king it described. He was righteous and having salvation. He's humble and he's mounted on the donkey. And this was the third clue that the donkey gives us. See, when kings came into town, they came riding one of, of two things in that day. They either came riding a war horse or if they were coming in peace, they rode a donkey. And the Israelites were very familiar with the, the, the this were kind of the activity of the Roman legions. Commanders would, would ride these great war horses when they, when they were victorious over a city. They heard about the celebrations back in Rome when the Caesars would be mounted on a war horse leading a vast army with uh, their, their conquered foes in chains. But, but King Jesus, he rides into Jerusalem on a colt, a donkey, and not a war horse. See, Jesus was coming on a mission of peace, to make peace with God and human beings, and then to help us make peace with, with one another, with each other. He, he's, the, he's the prince of peace. He's, he's the Lord of wars. He's not the Lord of war. He's the prince of peace. Now, this would have been a big disappointment to many who were in the crowd that day who were expecting a military deliverer, a military savior, a political person. A king who would drive out these Roman oppressors. They wanted a king to make war, not peace. But Jesus came under the rule of love, not, not force. Jesus came to conquer our hearts by his sacrificial death on the cross. I wonder sometimes if we are guilty of squeezing Jesus into our preconceived ideas of who God should be and what he should do. And the truth is, we need to take Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. 
Now, this donkey had a lot of meaning. But what Jesus was doing is Jesus is making a clear statement that he is this long-awaited king. The king has come. Let's press on into Mark chapter 11. Pick up at verse 8. And many spread uh, their cloaks on the road, and others spread uh, leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Over and over again, they, they, they made that statement. Hosanna, Hosanna. You know, we sang that song a moment ago. And, and what they're doing, and really a, a, an insight here that helps us see the main point that Jesus is making this day. Jesus receives their praise. Jesus had not done that in all of his ministry. You know, we're living in a pandemic that's oppressing our freedom. We're living in a pandemic that's crushing our economy. The Jews that day in the city of Jerusalem, they lived under the the pestilence of the Roman government. Their, their, Their freedoms were oppressed. Their economy was oppressed by these invaders. And so the atmosphere in Jerusalem would have been charged with great anticipation of this coming king. Thousands of people had crowded into Jerusalem for, for Passover. And I believe there was just a buzz of conversation. Have you, have you seen the guy Jesus raised for? Have you seen Lazarus? Somebody else said, no, I didn't see him, but I saw the guy that, 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 that he healed from, from blindness, Bartimaeus. And people start saying, do you, do you think he's the one? Do you, do you think maybe he's the promised king. And I think there was just a fervor that was breaking out. Now, for three years, Jesus had had been teaching God's kingdom, that it had arrived already. And he said he did it by healing the sick and by freeing the oppressed, by feeding the hungry, and and by raising, raising the dead. And huge crowds would gather around every time he made a public appearance. And many start to think, this might be the promised one. Of course, others thought, you know, he's crazy. Some thought he was evil. The the religious establishment of the day thought he was just plain dangerous. But Jerusalem is a buzz. Everywhere, people are talking about Jesus. And into that environment, Jesus comes riding on a donkey. It was a deliberate fulfillment of the prophecy. It was a clear, orchestrated statement that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah King. And the people... They respond accordingly. They give him a royal welcome fit for a king. Cloaks and palm branches spread on the ground. It was their version of of rolling out the red carpet. Praises just began to be shouted as in in Mark 11, verses 9 and 10. Hosanna! Hosanna! Jesus rides into town and hosannas start breaking out. Praise starts breaking out. even, Even people giving, you know, that really didn't know what was going on, they get caught up in that. Hosanna! Saying it. Some of them probably didn't even know what the word meant. You know, we sang that a moment ago. Did you know what you were singing? Don't you love it when you sing words that you don't know? The meaning, Hosanna simply means, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. It's a Greek form of a Hebrew word that just simply means save us. And see, the crowd believed that Jesus was this long-awaited Savior King. They're, They're Messiah. Now, they were expecting political salvation. They were expecting military salvation. They expected Jesus to drive out these foreign Roman invaders and set himself up as king. 
and make Israel the great nation that it had once been. See, the Messiah had been in the lineage of David, descended from David and Solomon, who had been Israel's greatest kings, the leaders of the golden age of Israel. And the promised Messiah king would restore that greatness and make them free and make them prosperous once again. Now, it, you, you could understand this if you could think about, you, you've maybe seen some movies about the, uh, the, the day occupied Europe was set free from Nazi oppression. And the parties that, 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 that took place all over, all over Europe when, when they were set free by the American and, and, and British forces. You get a picture of that. I, I think when these shelter-at-home uh, issues are lifted, I think there's going to be a great party that's going to break out all across our land. It's going to be a, a, a great celebration. Well, the Jews of Jesus' day, they were under that kind of occupation. They, they felt like they, they were oppressed, and Jesus was their liberator. And they were right, sort of. See, Jesus is the Savior. He did come to set them free, but not from Roman captivity. He came to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from, from our sin. Jesus is the king, but of a much bigger kingdom than they ever imagined. He's just not the king of Israel. He is that, but he's the king of the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom rule into this broken world so that God's will as it's done in heaven would, would now be done on earth. Jesus came to save us from ourselves. Jesus came to bring us back to God. And that was not what they had bargained for. From time to time, I'll have somebody come uh, to me and, and want to talk a little bit, want, want some counsel maybe uh, about their marriage. And they'll start telling me about their spouse. And they'll finally get around to, Pastor, you need to fix my spouse. And I'll, I'll start, I'll be asking them questions about their behavior. I'll start asking them about then, and it, usually, finally, it'll dawn on them what's going on. And they'll say, wait a minute, it's, I, I'm, it's not me. I'm not here for me. I, I'm here for them. You, you need to fix, fix them. And what, what happens often is they leave disappointed. See, that, that's what Jesus did. They expected him to fix the Roman problem. They wanted him to fix them. Friends, if Jesus is your Savior, he came not primarily to set you free from the circumstances that you're in right now, or your, your enemies, or your spouse, or your job, or your boss. Or, he mostly came to save you from yourself, from your sin. Now, he did come to change eventually those circumstances, to give you the strength and the power and the ability to do that. See, they, they wanted him to fix the Romans, but Jesus wanted to fix them because they did not know who God was. Now look what Jesus does next. Mark chapter 11, verse 11. It says, and he, and he entered into Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. Jesus goes straight to the temple. Where would you expect a king to go? The palace. Most of us would think he would go straight to the palace, to the seat of, of political power. But Jesus goes, goes to the temple, to the center of spiritual life. And this third insight is something that Jesus wants us to see because it leads to the main point. See, Jesus, when he goes to the temple, what he does is he clarifies his kingdom. 
He's clarifying what his kingdom is about. Mark tells us that Jesus went straight to the temple. And if you keep reading, you'll notice that Jesus went to the temple. He looked around at the temple, and he went straight home that night. Now, there's no mention of what happens to the crowd, but I just use it in my sanctified imagination. I think it probably happened like this, this crowd that had been whipped up into this, this frenzy. Hosanna, the king is here to save us. Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, crowd mauling just around him, expecting him to go to the palace. You know, I can see them chanting, down with Rome, Jesus rocks, you know, and, and Jesus goes to the temple and I can kind of see the crowd going, uh, what's up, Jesus? What, what, what's happening? You know, start wondering. And then I could see him say, oh, he's going to pay his respects to God before he goes beats the snot out of the Romans. That's that's what he's going to do. But Jesus just stops there. He, He just... He stops. It's the, it's not, he's not, he doesn't have another destination. That's the end of his journey. He's obviously not going anywhere else. What message is he sending? Well, Jesus is saying this. The revolution starts here. The revolution starts right here. It starts in your heart. It starts with God. This is where the revolution is. Now, I imagine the crowd starting to grumble. I imagine they eventually melt away. I imagine that they are disappointed. I imagine that they are angry. This is not what they expected. And we know that by the end of the week, this crowd who was cheering his arrival will eventually chant out calls to kill him. Lips that cried, Hosanna, Lord, save us, will shout, crucify him. And I believe we can learn something from this. See, this, this prayer, Hosanna, Lord, save us, it's, it's a good prayer. And now they meant, you know, they meant, Lord, save us from the Romans. But Jesus, Jesus had something else in mind. Now, here's the deal. The truth, the truth about me, and I imagine the truth about you, is we can do the very same thing. We so often have plans that are different from Jesus. And you, we cry out, Lord, save us by fixing that. Fix that person. Fix, fix this. And what Jesus wants to do is fix me. Lord, change, change my boss or my friend or, or my spouse or my circumstance. And what Jesus wants to do is Jesus wants to change me. Lord, Lord save me from my circumstances. Make me, make me happy. Make me healthy. Or make, make, and Jesus wants to change me. Lord, save us. It is a great prayer that we need to pray all the time because we're all in need of the continual saving work of Jesus. See, friends, salvation is not just a single event. It is an event, but it's also a process. It's a process that lasts over an entirety of life. See, you don't just accept Jesus and then arrive at perfection. I'm continually being converted. I'm continually being transformed and changed, made more like Jesus. And anybody who walks with Jesus, that's true for them too. We're all a work in progress, so we still need to pray. Hosanna, Lord, save us from our behavior. Save us from ourselves. It's a great prayer, and I hope you pray it often. One of the last things, it's a detail of this event that Mark doesn't tell us. Luke records this. 
in, in his gospel account of, of Palm Sunday. In Luke chapter 19, verses 39 through 40, we read about, and this is Jesus again, he's further clarifying what his kingdom's about. In, in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 39, it tells us that some of the, the Pharisees it, you, that were in the crowd that day said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They, they did not like that people were chanting and cheering uh, about this coming king. And in verse 40, here's Jesus' answer to them. I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. See, Jesus is further clarifying his kingdoms. Jesus, Jesus receives the praise of the crowd that day. Again, the only time in his ministry when he ever allowed that. And when he does, the Jewish leaders go ballistic. They just, they object to it. See, they obviously thought that these praises and prayers, you know, were inappropriately giving to Jesus. So he, they tell, rebuke, stop them, Jesus. But instead, Jesus says to them, if, if they were silent, even if they were silent, see, the stones will cry out. And, and this is what Jesus is, is, is telling us. Jesus is so deserving of praise that even if we don't, the inanimate parts of his creation will cry out. Even if those of us, it, when the creator comes among them, if the animate and intelligent creation refused to praise him, the inanimate would cry out. It, it would cry out. See, G people think that Jesus needed people to cry out and worship him, that it was some kind of ego thing. That if, you know, it's a lie. See, if we don't, the rest of creation will cry out. He doesn't need us to. We need to. We desperately need to see him as the only king, to see him as the only king who could truly save us, save us from our sins and eventually save us from our circumstances. Have you ever been so excited about something that you just couldn't keep it in? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good with good news. Um, as far as keeping it a secret. Kathy will tell you I'm horrible at this. Uh, I just can't keep good news to myself. You know, like when our grands are born. I want to tell everybody. When we find out the gender, you know, you're supposed to do this gender party. Th I, I just want to tell everybody. You know, our, our daughter, Caitlin, is pregnant, and there's this, this child growing in her. And when we found out the gender, they told me I had to keep my mouth shut for a while so they could tell other people. And it's, it's so hard. And I really have this sneaky suspicion that they wait till the last minute to tell me things anymore. Um, sometimes you just, the news is too good that you just have to, have to shout it out. See, the creator of the universe rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. People rolled out the red carpet. They shouted, they shouted his praise that day. And had they not, the rocks would have. He's here. He's here. Friends, he is here today. He's here, he's here in this space. He's here in your home. He's there in your living room or in your kitchen or wherever you're, you're at right now. Jesus, Jesus is there. He's here where you are. And he's given us these, these three insights so that we would come to understand that he is the Savior King. He showed us that he was the king when he took control and he worked his plan. He showed us that he was the king when he chose to receive their praise. He showed us that he was the king of kings, the king of the kingdom of God, when he clarified his kingdom. See, Jesus determined that we would see him as king and want him to be our king. So I want to close with just 
a, a few questions that will, I think, clarify and help you know, have I made Jesus my king, or do I just give him kind of lip service? Have I, have I really made him my king? And so here's the first question. How will you respond when Jesus says, I need what you have? How do you respond when Jesus says, I need what you have? Or, you know, in Luke 14, we, we hear Jesus. I love the way the Amplified Version translates this. Jesus says, so then, any of you who does not forsake, and that means to renounce or surrender or claim, you know, that you own it, give up, say goodbye to it. Unless you do not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Anything, anytime, anywhere. The Apostle Paul writes about his personal experience of surrendering everything to Jesus. He writes to some of his friends at the church in Philippi. In Philippians 3, he says this, I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. What Paul was saying to Jesus is, anywhere, anytime, anything. Paul said everything. How do you respond when Jesus says, I need what you have. Your time. Your talent. Your, your treasure. When, when, it, when it comes to Jesus, how do you, how do you answer that, that question? Do you cry out, Jesus, anything, anytime, anywhere? Here's the second question. How will you respond when Jesus says, king me or kill me? There's not, there's not in between here. See, Jesus showed up that Palm Sunday declaring, I'm the king. And some shouted his praise at first by, by the end of the week. Those same lips were shouting, crucify him. How about you? Do you, do you truly make him your king? See, it's a personal decision. Paul wrote a very personal letter to a friend, a young man named Timothy, that he was he was trying to teach about Jesus and about life in God's kingdom. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul wrote this. For just at the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of kings and Lord of all lords. For some, today is the right time to, to name Jesus as your king. And you can know he's your king. You can, you can know this when you put what he wants above what you want. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. What Jesus is saying, you can't have it your way and my way. In Joshua chapter 12, Joshua records a moment. See, Joshua was called by God to lead his people into the promised land, his covenant people, the nation of Israel. And just before they were going in, Joshua stopped them. And he challenged God's people, God's chosen people, and he said this day, choose for yourselves this day, who will you serve? See, Jesus is determined that you would know him as king, the king who came to save, to save you from yourself, from your sin. And maybe today you've never trusted him as king that way. And right where you're at, right now, you could just say to Jesus, Jesus, I realize that I'm separated from God by my sin, and I need you to be my king, and I surrender Everything, all of it right now. I just surrender my life to you. I, I surrender trying to do it myself. I give myself to you, Jesus. I submit. I surrender. 
I realize you are the king, and so I, de- I cry, Hosanna, save me. Last question is this. How will you respond when Jesus looks at you and says, why make the rocks cry out? Why make the rocks cry Don't Don't let the rocks cry out. Give Jesus the praise he deserves. It's good news that he's the king. It's good news that you've made him, him your king. Throw, throw Jesus a parade. Give him the praise that he deserves, praise that comes from hearts that love him as he really is, not as we want him to be. Isaiah 55 tells about what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. He says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. King Jesus deserves all praise. Does your life praise him? Or are you one who holds it in? Or when, when, you, when you heard about extending invitation to others about joining you online for celebrating the resurrection, did you cower or did you think, I can't wait, I can't wait to invite somebody to join me in celebrating? Give Jesus the praise he deserves. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come. We come in this moment giving thanks that you were determined to reveal yourself as king to us. God, I remember the day when I was awakened to the reality of how desperately I need you, you to be my king, to be my savior king, to be my, the one who saved me. The one to whom I cried out, Hosanna, save me. And you did. Many watching you right now, or they remember that day. Holy Spirit, I just pray that they would be quickened in their spirit right now to remember the joy and excitement of that day. Of finally being made right with the God of the universe because of you, Jesus, because of your sacrifice. And so we come giving you thanks thanking you that you displayed who you were as you rode on that donkey that day, thanking you for taking control and working your plan in our lives. And maybe right there where you're at, you realize today God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he wants you to set your life apart for him. And maybe today what he's asking you is, or telling you is this, the Lord has need of you. He needs you to join him in his kingdom work especially right now in a world that's so broken. And so come praising Jesus. Praise him with your deeds. Praise him in your giving, sacrificially and generously. Praise him with your songs. What we want to do in our heart of hearts is praise him as king. And so we come in these moments saying to you, all hail King Jesus. We just hail you as our king. We we lift you up as our king. We praise your holy name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 11.30 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.